Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. You can uh, call or text 949-542-6241 before we get out of here for some listener questions. Um, I saw some in the YouTube chat. Uh, This was a good one, I thought, John. And unfortunately, I didn't really get to go back and watch this, but hopefully you did. This is from Nick Marks in in the chat. Um, What happened on the AJ Green play that was called incomplete? Yeah, so on the broadcast, it didn't show replay, so I had to go back and look at it from the coach's film. And from what I saw is that Green caught it, got one foot in, and then the ball kind of drops down to his left knee, and it looks like he's kind of bobbling and trying to regain possession. And at that same time, another foot came down. And at this point, that, that foot came up, looked like Green resecured it, got another foot down, and then went out of bounds. So I, for what I'm, what I'm assuming is, the ref saw the ball bobble, and then when he repossessed it, he only had one footed incomplete. So I think that's kind of what happened, even if I would have liked a further explanation of it. Yeah, like I said, I didn't really get to see it. I, I, I stepped out for one second and uh, didn't get to see the play. Um, ended up kind of being a, a big play in the, in the scheme yeah, of things uh, because it caused a third and 17. Then the next play, I think Dalton threw that interception towards Ross. And, um, you know, it kind of – started to snowball a bit out of control from there. But I think it's a microcosm of the officiating this year that there's been a lot of questionable calls, both on the Bengals, against the Bengals, against other teams. And uh, I think that's a theme for this year. We do have a call on the line. Uh, I want to, we have a call on the line from our good friend, John from Kentucky. John, how are you, sir? Yeah, and, and uh, you know, I'll, I'll get to I'll get to your thoughts in just a second, um, John Sheeran. Um, but you know, the thing is that I here's the thing with Dre. You know, he's this year he's given up big penalties. He's given up critical first down plays. He did it last week. Critical first down plays on third downs. He's not giving up the gigantic touchdown passes. He's not giving up. Um, you know, large, large, large gains um, for the most part. It's just kind of been a really frustrating year for Dre. And, and I think, 
and John, I remember from, from years past, you and I both have been critical of, of Drake or Patrick um, from different programs. I remember. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think that one of the things that has really hurt Dre this year and, and would have put him in bigger, uh, I guess, more so in fan graces is the fact that he's dropped in at least one interception opportunity every game this year. Um, and, 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 you know, this is a team, I, I think we know now that this is a defense that will give up yards, it will give up some points, but they will feast, kind of like what they did in 05, they will feast off of the turnovers, and they will, they will create the short fields for Dalton. That, that's kind of the plan, and it worked well the first couple of weeks, and when they didn't do it this, this week, it re- and then Dalton turned the ball over more, it, it really bit them in the in the butt, and I think Dre has got to learn and got to figure out how to hang on to some of these interceptions. I, I'm sure that's stuck in your your craw, right, John? Yeah, and what Cats will roll. I couldn't even remember the last interception he got, but then somebody was Michael Myers. He mentioned he <laughs> couple. Actually, it was, was in a primetime game against Denver. That yep. It's been three or four years ago. Other than that, though, I can hardly remember any, so I expect a lot more from him. But I will say this, you know, Drake and Patrick, for the past few years, can make a tackle and get up. Remember when he first came to <laughs> Well, thanks, John. We're going to take the rest of this question off the air and try and get some other callers in. Appreciate the call and uh, appreciate the support, sir. All right, who day, buddy? Uh, John. Yeah. Well, there was there was two Johns there, so that got a little confusing. So, uh, uh, but I, I do want to get your uh, your thoughts on Drake, because obviously now, I, I mean, it, it's it's these are ball these are footballs that are hitting them right in the chest, right in the hands. I mean, these are gimmies, and Cam Newton gave him a gimme last week. He didn't do it. Um, now again, who knows if that would have, what that would have done, but it was a little bit of a microcosm as to the Bengals afternoon against the Panthers because they missed that block punt. As we mentioned earlier, they missed that fumble recovery. They missed that interception. Your thoughts on Dre. I mean, like I said, he's not giving up the long ball touchdowns. He's not giving up, you know, 50 yard plays routinely, but he's giving up 15, 20 yards on third and eleven. He's giving up. Uh, he's he's letting things happen and move the sticks, and he's not making the interceptions to kind of atone for those things. Yeah, and because he's not getting burned deep, that's why there's nothing really Jesse Bates or Sean Williams can really do for him over the top. Like people have asked me, like you know, can, can they shade a safety over towards Dre's side to give him help? How is the safety going to help if they just keep burning him underneath? And because the dude on third and long, doesn't play to the sticks. He plays like four yards past the sticks and it allows just to <laughs> first time completion. Like that happened multiple times against Carolina. He like, he tackled, I think it was Torrey Smith, like two yards past the first down and then like held his fist up like it was fourth down. And he's like, oh, wait, crap. It was the, the, oh, crap. <laughs> but we're, like, that's just, that's just Dre thinks at this point. Like, I, like at this point, I don't care if he, if he doesn't catch interceptions. I just, coverage because he, he can't even do that like he gives up so much separation when guys are coming coming out of the breaks 
and he has to like turn his head around completely and like doesn't even flip his hips. He turns his whole body around. It's like the exact opposite teaching tape of a cornerback coming into the NFL. And those are issues that were with him in Alabama and they just never really got better because it's just hard for players to change. So it's just hard to really hide a cornerback, specifically a cornerback that doesn't get burned deep, but just can't stay with his guy, you know, in the short and intermediate routes. And there's hard for a defense to try to help him out in that sense because there's just not a lot that they can do. An offense will take advantage of a certain of a certain weakness on the defense. Uh, yeah, and it's very. There, there was kind of some talk about like, oh, Dre was seen walking around Paul Brown Stadium this week with a football cradle in his arms, and he worked a, a extra long after practice to you know, catch the football and he was, he was playing catch with Andy Dalton after practice. I think it was, were some of the reports and it still isn't, I don't know. It, it's almost as if there's been a bit of a regression. And I say that because even when he was a reserve defensive back, when Terrence Newman was here, Leon Hall was here and he kind of was like in and out of the lineup when he was there, he was kind of the, the gamble, big, big play guy. You know, he was either like kind of letting up a play or he would have that big interception or a pick six or something like that. And it just hasn't happened the last couple of years. And, you know, now he's got kind of a big contract and I think some people are getting a little impatient with him, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see here. Um, this is a question from Peter Nefis in the chat room, and then we'll get our, our score predictions or our predictions and some final thoughts on the Falcons game before we get out of here. Peter Nefis in the YouTube chat says, is it time to rotate in? Is, is it time to rotate in Jefferson? And I think he mean, means Malik Jefferson based on what we've seen from the linebackers. You've seen them struggle in coverage against running backs and tight ends. You've seen the backup linebackers, Hardy Nickerson and, and others. Um, not play so well against the run, um, or at least this past week. So is this still another thing with, in terms of with Jefferson, is this still a thing where Marvin is being very staunch with those rookies and, you know, they got to bide their time or is this kind of a time to say, Marv, you know, you've made some changes in terms of this team and who you are this year. Maybe it's not so time. And then maybe it's not the time to be so prideful and let a guy like Jefferson get in there because, quite honestly, I don't know what there is to lose, especially when you're still missing potentially Preston Brown and Vontez Burfitt. Yeah, so Jefferson, I think – the whole thing with the Bengals linebackers, essentially, is that they, they're – you notice the difference so much with them because t traditionally the Bengals defensive line doesn't make a lot of impact plays on the run. They're really gap-oriented, but they don't – you know, shed a lot of blocks up there. And it's really up to perfect for a lot of those times to make plays on second level blockers and track down uh, uh, running backs, whatever on outside runs. And as we've seen without him, whenever he's not out there, guys like Vigil and Jordan Evans and this is Hardy Nickerson, they can't really pick up the slack. And that's why these long runs kind of happen with Jefferson. It, it was pretty obvious in the preseason that he just was just clearly not ready in terms of yeah, handling yeah. his gaps and just being, being a disciplined player at the, at the position. And that was really expected because he came in at 21 years old. Um, he had really one or one and a half good years at Texas where they just kind of let him free. And that's why I think the potential is there for him having the same 
qualities, if not at the same level as a perfect guy who's a pursuit guy who can go from scrape over the back of formations and make those impact plays. I just don't think that's I just don't think that in a week's time we're gonna be able to see that from him in his first game playing on the defense. I think that they just gotta they just gotta bite the bull and just have who they have out there now in terms of Nickerson and Vigil and Evans and just kind of hope for the best. And because obviously Falcons running game I don't think is as diverse with especially Steve, Steve Sarkeesian calling the plays, it won't be as as diverse and as versatile as we see as we saw the Panthers run game. I think that will, I guess, help out the linebackers see things a little. Guys do have to win one-on-one assignments. They do have to get off blocks. They do have to make impact plays. Um, I, I just, I, I would still even have more confidence in Evans and Vigil doing that over Jefferson at this point. Yeah, and, and oh boy, SC fans and Sarkeesian don't let's let's not even let's not even go there. Yeah. I mean, that's. that's like, <laughs> Lane Kiffin and SE. Um, here's, here's my thing with, with Malik Jefferson. I think, yes, he has immense growing to do. Yes, I think his upside is very big. I've always kind of been a little bit of the mindset, though, of if you have confidence in – and I, I mainly say this in terms of the back seven of a defense, the linebackers and secondary players. And, and I, I guess I'm more specifically saying the linebackers and the safeties. So – my my thing is is if you have if you are flanked with a bunch of veterans guys that you know are doing their job guys that you know have high football IQ and can diagnose plays well you can say what you want about Vontez Perfect in terms of his late hits and all that kind of stuff if you hear about him his football IQ according to coaches and players and everything it's through the roof his di- his ability to diagnose plays is through the roof okay Preston Brown. Probably not as high of a football IQ as Vontez Perfect, but a disciplined football player nonetheless. Not as dynamic of a football player as Vontez Perfect, but a guy that you can kind of trust when he's in there and healthy and all of that. You know, I'm kind of like, maybe you can kind of have the wild man in there. You know, maybe you can kind of have the wild card and let him run sideline to sideline. And yeah, you might get, you might get, uh, some some headaches and some oh my god! But you might get those wow plays, you know. And, and mm-hmm. I think I think back a little bit to what the Steelers did with Troy Polamalu and what the Ravens did with Ed Reed. And yeah, it's a different position; it's safety. But they had all those pieces kind of around them, and they knew those guys weren't real. I mean, they had high football IQ and incredible athleticism and big playability. But they kind of said, "Dude, do your thing. D- just yeah. just." I mean, here's the play. Try and play within the confines of it. But, I mean, Paul Amalu was almost a linebacker at times. That, I mean, yeah. I, I mean he, he was he was a guy they – I mean, remember how many times he would time a snap and, and jump over yeah. the center and, and sack a quarterback? So, it, my, my point is – and I'm not saying Malik Jefferson's an Ed Reed or a Troy Paul Amalu, but my point is that if you have an athletic guy and he's surrounded by guys that may be able to mask a little bit of his – mistakes or his uh, youth or that sort of thing. I don't know. I, I think you may want to roll the dice a little bit, especially when things, I mean, I, I don't want to say one week is, you know, well, let's get knee jerk reactionist, but um, you drafted him in the third round for a reason. And uh, he's mm-hmm. got athleticism and size. I don't know. Am I crazy in thinking that? Or is that, is that just, you know, Hey, that's a little too mad in football for me, buddy. No, I think the potential for him to be there is there. I think if we're talking about a one-week solution in terms right. of before Burfitt comes back, it might not be the best. 
which yeah. which is which is the context of which I was answering. But I totally agree that Jefferson that that was that was what stood out on tape was when he was just let loose, able to make those perfect like plays. Uh, granted, in, in in the Big Twelve and whatnot. But yeah, the potential is there for him to become that. And it, it, I think at the very least, they should give him a, a couple opportunities in the base because they they claim that he can play all three positions. Obviously, they wouldn't want him, you know, with the mic in his helmet or whatnot. But if he comes in for you know Hardy Nickerson on a drive or two at middle linebacker in base, I, I wouldn't be too opposed to just to see what we can get for him. But my expectations, I guess, would be v- very low in that department. I guess. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you there. But uh, he is a guy that. Probably later this year or, uh, you know, next year, he, he should be having a prominent role mm-hmm. depending on his growth. Because I think I think the ceiling's high there. Um, the floor may be a little low, but uh, I think the ceiling is very high there for, for him. He's very athletic. And I think once he kind of gets the nuances of things, he, he, Malik Jefferson could be a good player for the Bengals. Um, one last, just kind of quick to put a bow on the John Ross thing. We got a text from, I believe it was from Austin Tran. Do you think John Ross is going to overcome his mistakes for what he did in the Panthers game, whether they are his mistakes or not? Uh, are, are you just plain confident that that he is a guy that the Bengals can rely on going forward in the offense? Yes, I am. And that's that's part on Ross getting his head right. It's part on Laser, you know, making things a little bit easier for him. That's part on Dahl maybe putting in some extra work after practice to just, to just get him just more acclimated with everything. And if you have to go the extra mile – He's worth it because that's just how talented he is. And it's about time that we start remembering that when he was drafted, remembering the kind of player that he was at Washington, because this guy, it, he's talented enough. And that like, again, these mistakes, if they happen, they happen, but you just got to kind of live with it and realize what the bigger picture is. Totally agree. And I think his ceiling is Deshaun Jackson plus. I mean, I, I think, I think he is, uh, I think he's got a lot of talent. And uh, it hasn't been totally tapped yet by the Bengals. And I think that, uh, you know, I think fans are doing Ross a disservice and, and potentially the Bengals a disservice by saying, oh, he's a bust. It's so far. It's, it's just not, it's not a fair thing. There are frustrations there. There are issues there. But it's, I think it's way too early for that. And uh, I, think, I think you and I agree, John. Hello. I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seemed Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seemed smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.